Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. In this episode, I'm here with Matthew Gallet of the Gio World Tour mm-hmm. and his YouTube group, Gio Nation, massive. And uh, yeah, so happy to have you here today. Happy to be here. Just as a quick intro, yesterday we had a little bit of a learning curve on my side. I didn't realize that my new digital micro four thirds camera actually turns off after 25 minutes. Amateur. We made uh, a fantastic vlog. It was uh, good. A fantastic podcast. It was fantastic in so many ways, but you'll never hear it or see it. <laughs> yeah, it was good. And then I also forgot <clears throat> to turn on the recorder, which is recording now, and yeah. I'm going to lock it in. There it's on hold, So I cannot accidentally turn off. So we should be all right. Today. So let's basically rehash yesterday's conversation, but make it a little bit better. That's exactly what we're going to do. Sounds good. All right. So as we get rolling into this conversation, similar to yesterday, we'll start it off with um, basically my understanding of his past experience was he was planning a world tour with a friend that fell through, became a solo tour. Then he got run over by a truck, which put that off for a while. Then he did start a tour, had an injury, and then some other things came up in life. And now here he is. So Mm -hmm. please, uh, Matt, fill in the blanks. Jeez, there's a lot of blanks to fill in. Um, I, uh, I I moved to China about 10 years ago uh, for business and uh, didn't take long. This is going to be a Cliff Notes version of this. We can go long, short, whatever we want. But basically, I, uh, I was a businessman and uh, I found that uh, a passion for travel circum- uh, overpowered my desire for getting rich. <clears throat> and I learned about I, that I had a passion for travel while I was in China via a relationship I had with a friend of mine, uh, a best friend, uh, English teacher, who uh, this guy could uh, travel around the world with a backpack, didn't care about money, didn't care about all the things that I had originally built my life upon the framework of. Right. You know, It was like, get rich, buy the things that you want to do, buy the ad- adventures that you want to take. You know, Once you have the money, you can do the things you want. Mm-hmm. But he was doing these things. Uh, before the money came in. So he was actually accomplishing a lot of these things and he didn't have what I had perceived as what you had to have yeah. in order to, to start an adventure like this. And he was a shoestring type budget. Yeah, guy. yeah. He could sleep on a, on a park bench and be happy because he was doing what he loved to do. And here I was dealing with customers and I was sandwiched between factories in China that were always trying to, you know, uh, extract the penny, you know, by, by, uh, making mistakes and making problems for me. And then the customers always having, I was always in the middle. 
but I found out I love travel, and from that, um, I built a, a tour that, that spanned the, the world and, and connected all points around the world from 100 countries, and uh, I uh, equipped myself with a unique mode of transportation that was human-powered, that I thought uh, was an interesting way to, to, to travel. And um, I started uh, moving around the world. I, I even, uh, you know, made made a brand for myself, Jiao, which uh, in Chinese, Jia means to add, Yo means fuel. So like, I'm adding fuel to my life by traveling around the world, just like you add fuel to your life in your own way. And everybody everybody has their own form of what fuels them and what they enjoy doing. And and Jiao is basically the uh, the way to say add whatever that is into your life to make it successful. At so, least you hope everybody has some kind of fuel they're adding. Uh, and some people don't even know what their fuel is, you know. And so I felt privileged to find out that I had this passion for travel and video. And I'm a YouTuber as well. And uh, so, um, yeah, I started traveling uh, with, with my first iteration of the tour um, uh, solo. I rode out of... Uh, Ningbo, China, which I, I, I'd been living at the time, and, and I still call that my home base. And I cycled for about uh, 3,500 kilometers, and a uh, truck ran me over. It hit me from behind, and uh, I had a trailer at the time. I towed a yeah. trailer behind my, uh, my, my trike, which I ride a recumbent trike. And the truck hit the trailer, and the trailer, I think, saved my life because it cushioned the blow. And so the truck destroyed the trailer, but only... Uh, broke a few bones on me and, and caused me to pause my tour. When Which, I re- on a trike, I mean, you're always in, there's this risk of it going right over you and, as opposed to hitting a bike where the bike just goes flying. Yeah, but you know what? On a bike, if if you get hit by a car if dead on from behind like I did, you're going you're gonna to fly off your bike yeah. and you're going to run. You're probably going to be inside the driver's you seat be, of yeah. that car. Whereas on a trike, you're almost surrounded by a roll cage. Mm-hmm. You know, like that trike, when, when I was hit, the trike rolled down the street. I, I ended up about 100 meters down from where I was struck, and uh, I only had a broken collarbone and a few broken bones on my shoulder. Could have been much, much, much worse. Could have been. Were you wearing a helmet? No. No, I I not even a helmet, huh? Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily wear the helmet very much. You know, not necessar- It's not required in, yeah. in Asia in a lot of places. So It's not required in Canada. After 18 years old, you don't really? have to wear as on a bicycle. The decision is yours. Or at least it was when I last lived there, so I don't know now. Hmm. I get a lot of grief from that. I like to ride without a helmet. I ride very slow. My trike is a slow form of transportation, so we'll talk more about that in a bit. And then, uh, so what happened after? So I had the accident. Um, Then I had to uh, re. I had to get a new trike. The trike was demolished, and my trike's from Germany. So I flew to Germany and got my trike remade and uh, paused a year. Started the second time, and I brought my. My friend on the tour with me. The original guy, The right? original guy. Now, now, yesterday, we actually <laughs> delved into exactly how the relationship... I'm, I'm very curious to see how our discussion goes today based yeah. on the framework of the conversation we had yesterday. But uh, Ryan is like my best friend, and, and uh, he wanted to try the tour with me. Like we had all... I, originally, we were going to ride together. Uh, but then I ended up going solo. But this, this, we had a, I had, a, you know what, it's interesting is when you have like one major setback, like a car accident or, or you have to pause a tour for some, maybe a personal reason, like mm-hmm. a fed death in the family or something like that. Of course, you'd be these big things. You know, you can, you can take those as a, like a, oh shit, you know, as a negative, you know, yeah. like, what am I going to do now? I paused, I got to go. And, or you could take it as a positive and say, how am I going to restart better than before? 
And so this this second time, I decided to bring Ryan on. And so we we ended up cycling together for even a shorter time. It was like three weeks to a month before my meniscus tour. I had this I had this perception of uh, carrying everything that I might ever want and basically traveling as heavy as possible. And just an epic, like you're, you're and loaded. Just, right? I could live on I brought musical instruments with me, big ones. I brought big cameras and lenses and, and tripods and... I was like a mobile video studio, and uh, it was it was fine for me to take with me. I wasn't like worried about going slow, but my body had had uh, other other requirements, and yeah. so they uh, my knee tore and my meniscus tore, and I had to pause the tour. I, I had Everest coming up uh, in like less than six months, so I had to pause the tour so that I could have rehabilitation. So I could do my Mount Everest expedition. And there's a lot of money invested in that, so you don't want to throw <laughs> yeah, that Yeah, it was a huge investment. And uh, I had already postponed it one year because of the car accident. Okay. So <clears throat> this, would, th- this would have been like I couldn't postpone it again because it was too much on the line. So I decided to pause the tour. Ryan ended up never coming back to the tour. He, he went back to Los Angeles, and he lives there now. And so I... Uh, I uh, climbed Everest in 2016 and then restarted the tour solo, got rid of the trailer, went, you could say light, I mean, not ultra light. I'm yeah. definitely not an ultra light rider. I, I ride with a, a, a... You're pretty light, though. Like, I'm you think so? Out. Did like, you lift the back of the trike when I was fully loaded? It's pretty heavy. Well, I mean, trikes are heavier. Yeah. So, but I mean, in, in general, when I look at your bags, you're carrying a lot less than a lot of cyclists out there. Hmm. I mean, like some people, I mean, they have bigger, they have big tripods, they have big DSLRs. I have or they definitely, have... I have definitely trimmed the fat on, yeah. on my, my, my equipment. You know, you say that it would be funny to like have a bunch of world travelers and us all open up our gear on, on, on camera, yeah, yeah. like in one big room That'd and like fun. you could look at it from like, and then just compare like the a piles. big overview, you know, say, wow, big, big middle, you know, and see where you line I'll up. I'll set it up. You can't leave. Might be another for a month. We'll get some more people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then uh, I've been restarted uh, and, and been pretty pretty consistent. I cycled from China to, to Korea, did all of Korea and Jeju Island. This then, started when? This uh, this Jaya 3.0? After Everest, Jaya 3.0? so 2016. Okay. And so I uh, did all of Japan to Okinawa. Yeah, we're talking the whole thing from Wakanai to uh, Okinawa and then... Uh, uh, Taiwan. I went around Taiwan, back to China, did China into uh, Vietnam, Vietnam all the way uh, west to uh, Laos, and then in through Laos, and then back into Vietnam where I did the Sondong Cave, um, and then uh, cycled down, and now I'm in uh, Cambodia, which is where we're at today. Yeah, that's awesome. How many miles since 2016? Miles. Or kilometers, geez. sorry. Yeah, yeah, I don't use kilometers miles anymore. What's your mileage? Yeah, come on now. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, I, I think I've got about 20 to 25,000 kilometers. I had a period of time where my, uh, Garmin, I, would, I wasn't using Garmin. I was using something called cycle meter and, uh, for some reason they lost all my data. So I was unsure of exactly, uh, how much, how much there, there is a, there is a variable there. I'm not hundred percent sure, but it's 20 to 25,000, uh, kilometers for sure. It's wild. Any major malfunctions? bike problems, things you've had to deal with? The trike is pretty well put together. It's a HP Velotechnic from Germany. Uh, it was one of the best put together trikes uh, that I had tried out. So I knew that this was going to be a good product. So I haven't had, it's German engineering, you know, so the actual uh, trike itself <laughs> is really solidly built. 
But you have the second factor, you know, the human factor, you know, that's you. You know, uh, the way you choose to ride it, the way you choose to ride it, the the when you do the routine maintenance, maybe you forget something. And I tend to forget things all the time. So for me, like recently uh, in Vietnam, um, I tried to change my chain because I thought, you know what? My chain, it looks a little worn. It's been about 20,000 kilometers. It's about time to check that chain. Turns out that it elongated by like about three inches. And in that, in that uh, l- extra length, it had recontoured my front sprocket, which is a Schlumpf drive sprocket, and my rear sprocket on my roll-off speed hub. So um, not only did I have to change a chain, but I had to get the special tools in order to remove and replace the cog on the roll-off. And I replaced the Schlumpf drive in the front, um, uh, not only because of the sprocket, but for a number of reasons. And so um, basically, I have a brand new drivetrain, okay. you know, uh, <clears throat> except for the actual inner component of the roll-off speed hub. So. And the fact that you got the roll-off, I mean, really does take away from a lot of the maintenance issues you might have if you have cassettes and yeah, yeah, derailers. Yeah. Um, if I would have uh, had cassettes on the back, all of them would have been recontoured, yeah, you know, because yeah. it, it would have been a fairly major changeover. But it would have been a changeover. I could have probably done it almost any bike shop. As opposed to having to order, you know, some special components from uh, from Germany. Wild. Beyond that, you know, I carry a set of tubes and tires, and I've had, you know, I I use a uh, a Schwab Marathon Plus tires, and I use Schwab tubes as well. And you know, just your complement of tubes. I've gone over, gone through a dozen, you know, tubes Mm -hmm. over. Over my time, I've got three tires. Most people got two, you know. So with the twenty inches, do they do you tend to get more punctures? Do you feel, or it's hard to compare because you don't have that. I don't think so. You know, uh, part of the good thing about having a trike is that each tire follows its own track. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, if one, if you run over, like, a spike or some sort of rough road, you have three tracks that you can kind of bridge the gaps right. and make sure that you don't run over that same glass bottle or whatever. And so, um, but they are smaller. There's a 20-inch, so then you have a little bit more vibration and uh, it doesn't, doesn't uh, like... Sometimes I'm I'm jealous of the people with the bigger tires because they can roll over some yeah. of the terrain a little bit easier than I can. Even the difference with 26er and 29er, like now <clears> some <throat> of the touring bikes are even using 700c wheels, which yeah. really like yeah. on a mountain bike as a mountain biker as well. Like I, I notice a difference on the trails. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's the objective of this tour? I mean, you've spent over you know, 2016, so you're in your third year. Kind of thing. 2014 was when I really started. The original story, yeah. 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 But anyway, since the one now, we've yeah, gone up yeah, to Korea yeah. and stuff. This is 2016, and you're in Cambodia now. Is there a route? Is there a plan? Uh, well, I mean, the uh, we're, we're in Cambodia, so uh, the next mission is to cross Cambodia into Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, that's you know obviously it's 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 it zigzags around i'm not like racing through countries yeah. i take my time the entire tour in my mind uh it will take me another 15 years if uh you know if and when i arrive well when i arrive to the usa no if no if when i arrive to the usa so um from new zealand go to norway from norway go to cape town south africa oh, so from new, Nor- new zealand you'll just fly no no no, no, no cycling, cycling. Okay, yeah yeah Um, I can do that. There is one gap that I'm not 100% sure is from New Zealand to to Chiang Mai. Uh, From Chiang Mai, I feel it's a fairly specific route. Yeah. But from New Zealand to Chiang Mai, I could do a number of things. I could go to Malaysia. 
You know, I could go to Papua New Guinea. I could go to uh, East Timor. I could go a bunch of different places. And it all depends on how I feel at the end of New Zealand. And and maybe I want to just get back to Thailand and Mm -hmm. get towards India and and all of these other countries. Or or you could cycle through them all again kind of thing. Or I could cycle through them all. But, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. But the, the purpose of the trip is to... Um, not only live a fulfilling life, uh, but to share the message with with people, show them that the world isn't as crazy and, and, and hostile as people think. I'm an American, so you know a lot of people in America think, you know, the world's out to get them, you know, and and have uh, an innate fear of 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 the outside world and would rather stay in their comfortable and homes. vice versa too. <laughs> people are like, oh, Americans, right, 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 right. So maybe I'm extending sort of an olive branch to the world and yeah, and, and, and back and forth. Uh, the actual route is sort of dictated loosely by uh, my bucket list, which I filled out in order to build the framework of the tour. So like the points on the map uh, a lot like constellations in the sky you know you see a picture and once you connect the lines and you can see my path once you connect the dots where i want to accomplish mm-hmm. each bucket list item for example uh you know, vietnam was specific for doing the son don yeah, yeah. so that that point um uh, uh created the general idea of how I wanted to pass through Vietnam was how am I going to get to that point and then continue on from that point. And those caves, they were only discovered in 2009, last, I think. Yeah, yeah, say, yeah last yeah. 10 years or this yeah. millennia for sure. And yeah. that's, that's amazing. Like, yeah, it was amazing. Less people have been in those caves than have been on Everest. So uh, it's Maybe there's less people on, that have gone in those caves than are dead on Everest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. I bet. Which is a sad, sad truth. Um, you climbed Mount Everest. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? That could be interesting to a lot of people. Originally, and, and this is about like uh, touring and cycle touring and stuff, sometimes it's about bending the rules and, and, and adapting. It's not always about... Uh, I, I have a YouTube channel, so I always have people that are criticizing me for, you know, maybe divulging, diverging from the cycling for a moment because I want to accomplish other bucket mm-hmm. list items. Like uh, uh, I had the meniscus tear in my knee, so I couldn't cycle to Nepal which was the original plan. It was cycle to Nepal and then climb Everest. Uh, I had problems. I still had the Everest expedition lined up, and I had invested years, almost five years, in, in training for that and uh, getting ready for that. And so I uh, I, I flew to Kathmandu, and, and uh, Everest expedition is amazing. It's like a 60-day expedition. You spend a month at base camp. Uh, and you spend a month there, yeah? A month, yeah, at altitude. Just acclimatize? Or? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're, you're going to camp one, then back down to base camp, then camp one, camp two. You're staying at camp two for a while, back down, up and down. You're constantly going back up oh, wow. and down. And you're spending days at, at, at altitude, days at 6,500 meters, and days up, up, at, up at high altitude just to make sure that your body is, is ready for the uh, extreme uh, summit, you know, that, that you're going towards. So, um, I mean, just as a, uh, a, there's no real teaser here, but I, I didn't, I didn't summit. I didn't place my feet on the top, but I, I was very close. Uh, I was approaching camp two and I had some health problems and, uh, 
you know, if you're looking at the news, we're, we're doing this episode mm-hmm. uh, right around the time that it is climbing season here yeah, for 2019. There's a traffic jam. And there's a traffic jam and people are losing their lives because they're, they're either pushing themselves too hard or they're stuck in a situation they have no control over, like, like traffic at the snow top. Snow blindness. You know, a, snow, a friend of mine was on a t- team of five people. Uh, I have a lot of friends now that climb and are, and are on the mountain today. And, and one of them didn't summit. The other one did summit. And he was on a team of five. His, his teammate died. His other teammate lost three digits of his of his hand, and uh, his other teammate was snow blind. So, um, and I came down no worse for wear. I, I was fatigued, and I had a couple of little things, but nothing major. And uh, I can say to myself that I I pushed myself up very very close to summiting Mount Everest. I and I took part in an Everest summit expedition. That's, that's cool. That's definitely the truth. So. It's the bucket list. That's the bucket list. You know. I so. read about a Japanese guy, and I forget he he. Attempted it five times or something. It's about a year ago I read this, and he had lost maybe half of his toes. I think one hand had two or three fingers left. The other one had lost a couple. And yeah. then that five, fifth time, he didn't make it. And mm. um, and all five were attempts that he never summoned. <clears throat> he just kept going back to try it. Lose a little bit more body parts. Do it again. And then finally, the mountain got him. Jayo. Yeah. There was a guy that uh, was in front of me on the way up. He had no feet. And so he had, really? these, he had these spike plates on the bottom of his nubs. And he was climbing Everest, you know. So um, I always kind of, you know, and, and you you don't feel the emotion of of the, um, the what that gives you until you're actually with that man, until you're seeing that man, and then you kind of feel like, and almost anything's possible, you know. You can watch a Discovery Channel and see somebody climbing Everest, which is why I put Everest on my bucket list because as a youth I had seen people do it and thought. That would be something that would be amazing, but I would never be able to do it. And when I did my bucket list, I left no, I left nothing off the table. If I really wanted to go to the moon, I would have put go to the moon on my bucket list, you know, but Everest was my go to the moon, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I made it happen, and actually doing it. And once and going to the moon is more feasible, that might actually get on your bucket list. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Hey, I might just be inspiring myself for a new item. <laughs> Elon Musk, come on, man. <laughs> Um, how do you support yourself through all this? I mean, it's not, can, you can do it relatively cheap. You can do it expensive. There's yeah. lots of variables. Travel touring is, uh, um, is, is up to you. You know, you can travel like my friend Ryan with a backpack or you can travel like me with a bunch of video gear. It depends on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and my way is a little bit more expensive than most. Uh, so, um, personally, I, uh, I had a company. Um, it was an import-export company. Basically, I started my life as sort of an inventor uh, in uh, Detroit, and I created a couple of products, manufactured them in the States. Um, uh, in doing so, I, I, I was never able to make, make them work profitably because mm-hmm. it was just too expensive to make them in the yeah. States. Certain products you can make in the States pro- with, with, with feasibility, but other products just won't work. Especially the like, little widget The things. little widget stuff. You can't mm-hmm. not do that stuff in China. Um, and I mean, just to give you guys an idea of how that, I mean, I spent like around fifteen dollars to $20,000 on the mold base, a plastic injection mold base for, for my, my widget, let's just call it widget. And uh, and I spent about a dollar fifty a piece 
produ- producing them. And I didn't say this yesterday because we kind of brought this up yesterday. <clears throat> they had a minimum of like a hundred thousand units you had to buy that I had to buy okay. from the factory in the states because they got to pay all their workers and they got they got to light the machine up and they've got to do all these different the things. And it cuts the cost down. Mm-hmm. If I only wanted five thousand, it would probably have been five dollars a piece, you know. But if, if I wanted a hundred thousand, they could get the price down. I did that same product in China. The mold price went from uh, let's just say fifteen thousand dollars to seven hundred and fifty dollars. The unit price went from a dollar fifty to I think it was around seven cents printed and packaged, and the quantity went from a minimum of a hundred thousand units to make it feasible to like five thousand units. Oh wow! So when you think about how those variables go together, you literally you couldn't make it marketable with the competition at the time on the product that I was producing. So when these rich guys in the U.S. are always saying, oh, I want to keep my business in America, they don't really want to because they're cutting their costs so it's, much. Unless that- unless they're a big company and they have all of the infrastructure in place and, you know, their workers are, or, or the, you know, like iPhone. You know, th- there's a lot of uh, automation in iPhone manufacturing and things like that. I could see how they could probably, it, they'd have to spend a shit ton on infrastructure. Yeah. But once the infrastructure's in place, maybe that would be something feasible okay. to do. But like the little things that could change with the market demands, it's yeah, just not feasible. Yeah, not feasible, not feasible. So um, I had some money from that company. I'd moved to China producing products in, in China. Basically, basically, I was producing products uh, in China uh, or in the United States. I learned that China was more feasible. In learning how China was more feasible for me and my products, people were asking me, hey, why don't you make my product in China? Can you help me to do my thing. So then I started creating a product development company by myself and and uh, I started making products for other people and utilizing my knowledge of overseas production. Getting uh, rich. Getting rich. Plan trying a, to do right? it. And then I uh, I went to China. I went, lived in Las Vegas for five years. Uh, I had one big major project that I had, I had created for myself and uh, it failed. And I lost all my money. I lost everything. And I was sitting at home and figuring, what the hell am I going to do? And I decided... Uh, the best way to figure it out was to go to China and live there and then figure it out, you know? Okay. So I ended up moving. That's how you moved to China? That's how I moved to China. And uh, I continued to grow my business for a number of years until the passion for travel came in. And then once that came in, I uh, decided to put my company, I'd close it up. I, I, I passed it on. And so now I'm focused 100% on trying to make travel and re- recording my uh, my my activities yeah. and, and making the the act of traveling pay for the act of traveling. Now we're both the same age, twenty seven. What do you say to those twenty seven? <laughs> I wish thirty nine. Yeah, yeah. uh, what do you say to those young guys out there who know who, whose parents are saying get the job, make the money, get a career, get a pension, go from there, well, do it when you're older. You know your parents. Everybody lives based on their own experiences and builds their own ideas of the way life should be based on their own experiences. And my grandpa was a perfect example of that. My grandpa passed away you know, less than a year ago, but he and I were like best buddies. And he was always worried about my lifestyle choice. Was he? Yeah, yeah. You're risking too much. You know, you've got to get something safe. Work at McDonald's. He didn't care what it was. Just the have that the paycheck, thing, you know, yeah. was so important to him. But that was because of his life and his experiences, and we all have to write our own story. Yeah. And uh, for me, that's my father. My grandfather, on the other hand, he was the kind of guy that jumped on a train and traveled across the country illegally. 
without paying. <laughs> well, <laughs> but then he was like, "Go travel, see the world. Like yeah. this is amazing. Keep yeah. doing it." You have to live your own life, and you can't let anybody hold you back. And hey, we live in Asia. I mean, Asians are pressured like like no other to abide by the family structure and make sure that you you get the good job and you yeah. you, you follow this strict regiment of of life choices that are dictated to you by history. I've I've and, known people that went to you uh, Australia to study. And then their parents called them and said, you got to come back and run yep. a company. And they yep. quit their jobs there, yep. came back to Malaysia yeah. in that case, took yeah. over the family business. That was yeah. it. You were told. Yeah. So, so I always, I'm, I'm very happy that I've stuck to it. There have been a million opportunities. I got hit by a truck. I've got all these opportunities Meniscus. to quit, yeah. you know, um, and I've, I've always looked them at opportunities to continue a better way as opposed to saying, uh, this this is too much. Maybe maybe this is the final nail in the coffin yeah. for the Jaya World Tour. So yeah, yeah, and it's not easy. Yeah, you know when I was laying in that hospital, there there was the demons were you know whispering in my ear. You know this is you could have a much easier. I could have a I could live if I didn't do the Jaya World Tour and you were you would like extrapolate based on the way my my life path was going where I would be today had I not even thought about doing this tour. I would be a very wealthy businessman living in China. Very wealthy. Yeah. It's more to life than just money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, let's move things to a little different yep. direction. Let's talk about your bike, trike, <clears throat> bike tour adventures. I don't know why you're on this show, but I, I let it as a pass. <laughs> yeah, bike, trike, you know. <laughs> Tell us about your trike. Uh, it is a, a tadpole trike. Tadpole because a tadpole is shaped like wide in the front and it has a okay. tail in the back. Oh, okay. You know, so if you look at the trike from above, it kind of like looks so like. So is that the branding name for the two wheels in the front? Is that how yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. There's a tadpole and then there's the uh, I think it's teardrop. like a reverse a teardrop or a reverse tadpole, um, and uh, it's quite nice. It's HP Velotechnic, so it has like a full suspension, so that all three tires is suspended. It has um, a whole bunch of doodads and fun stuff. Like uh, I got a Schlumpf uh, Mountain Drive on the front, which uh, has a 62th ring on the front. And then you actually engage it. It's a planetary internal drive. So when you engage it, it reduces by a value of 2.5. Oh, wow. So when you hit it, it goes from 60 teeth to, what is that, like 23 teeth? 23, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, Something like that. that. It, I mean, a, a huge reduction. In, in, and so it allows you to climb mountains. That's kind of why it's called mountain drive. I've got a, a roll-off speed hub in the back, which provides me 14 gears of a fairly wide range. I think most of you guys watching this have a familiarity with the, the roll-off speed hub. Um, it's got a very comfortable recumbent. Uh, ergo mesh seat. It's comfy. I it's signed it yesterday. Very comfy. Um, I mean, when you ride a trike, you don't have fatigue anywhere but your knees. I mean, obviously, your knees are the hardest working yeah. element on a trike. You don't but get the back and the neck. You don't pain get the but the ass pain. You don't get the chafing. the wrists. You know, or the neck, um, or all of those things that people attribute to riding uh, a bike. I'll finish. An average ride I, on a flat road, I'll typically put down about 100 kilometers a day. And at the end of the day, I get up out of my seat. And other than maybe a little wobbly in the, in the knees, just I don't get wobbly anymore. You're ready but to it dance. used to be, you know, I'm ready to go. You know, I can throw the backpack on and explore the city. And and um, I mean, the reason I chose the trike in the first place was comfortability, uh, but also like for, for videotaping. It's a great it's almost like you're cycling on a tripod. Like you're cycling a, 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 a tri camera tripod, 
uh, it's very stable. You don't have to worry about tipping over. I can have Did a conversation. Did you consider a recumbent bicycle at any point? I or? cycled a recumbent bicycle, but that's, you know, you're, once again, you got a balance. You got a balance. And, uh, I think if I didn't do the, the recumbent trike, I probably would have gone with a recumbent bike, yeah. maybe from the same company, HP Volatechnic. But uh, I'm very happy with the trike. Uh, the, the third factor of why it's such a great thing is that it's so unique. You know, when somebody sees me, especially in this part of town, um, they might never see something like that again, you know? It's possible, yeah. And so you're giving somebody an experience that, you know, you can see it in people's faces, you know? Like, there is, an, there is a real, I call it the smile machine. When you ride that thing around, I mean... It, you know, people are like engaged to it. It creates its own storyline yeah. for a video. It's it's perfect. People what? are always looking at it. One thing I kind of like about it too is because you're low, I mean, this one maybe downside of being low is that vehicles don't see as much. Mm. But one thing that's really nice is when you're cycling through around the world, interacting with kids because kids love oh, to Oh, you're right English, at head level. And you're right at their yeah. level. Like when you're on a bike, you're towering over them. It's, yeah. it's you know. Um, it's non-threatening. Yeah. You know, like uh, if you were to ride a motorbike around, first of all, I mean, you're passing by things so fast. Mm -hmm. I notice, I notice debris on the side of the road, insects and all sorts of like yeah. natural things. Uh, it was funny. I was riding through Japan and I, I had this collection of porn because in Japan, porn oh, is. Oh yeah, the magazines. Are, yeah, because, yeah. because in Japan, like porn is not like, it's not. It is mainstream, but it's like underground mainstream. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, it's, like it's an unwritten rule that people use that for anime and all that. You yeah, know? and it's not as what's the word for? It? Yeah, it's socially it's, acceptable. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not unacceptable. It's people but, are just like you could be in a train and somebody's reading porn, <laughs> and there's like a high school girl beside him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's just that, weird. Like, Especially the uh, the cartoony one, you know, yeah, like the yeah. manga or hentai or whatever. But like people would throw their porn out the window a lot because uh, maybe their wife was getting in the car and there was something they tossed it up. So I had this collection of porn. I'd, you know, the only way I would have noticed that was by, for, by for being so low to the ground. <laughs> it was funny. Anyways. How many different trikes did you test out uh, in the process of <clears throat> deciding to go with HP Velotechnic? It's funny. Ryan, the original guy that inspired the tour, he was my friend, like I described, from China. He was the one that kind of inspired me. If I hadn't met Ryan, I would definitely have been that businessman, That's successful it, huh? or otherwise. But that would have been only – my, my big story would have been my, my – uh, my business. Um, but he taught me that is, there's more life. I call it, I like the word experiential. Experiential. I love that word. Experiential it's learning. It's a big yeah, thing in schools yeah, now. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Ryan taught me that it was more important to live an experiential life than a financially successful mm -hmm. or financially stable life. Anyways, what was the question you asked? Uh, how many tricks you tried? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> We're getting there roundabout. So Ryan uh, was the one that pitched the idea for a, t a tadpole trike. I remember I was thinking I'd like to go human-powered, I'd like to go yeah. bicycle, and he came into the office, my office, and he's like, Matt, this is what we're going to ride. We're going to ride a tadpole trike. And I remember, he didn't even say trike. He said tricycle, tadpole tricycle. And you're like, that's the I kids. was like, good <laughs> God, get the, that idea out of my brain. You're picturing a little kid's I'm one, right? I'm picturing a big tears. wheel, you know, a big wheel. I at least love my big wheel, but for <laughs> kids, you know. And so um, we, we, we discussed it for a while, and he kind of like, uh, his, he was like this suave, handsome English teacher from, from Los Angeles, he was kind of like, uh, just a really like, uh, good looking suave guy. He didn't want to, uh, sit on a, on a bicycle seat and end up getting like some sort of a sterility issue. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like, we're going to do this long tour. I want to have beautiful children down the road. I don't want to go sterile. So, <laughs> so the trike was, you know, his solution to that problem. But it had like uh, stability issues and all, all sorts of other things that were positives. And so uh, at one point in time, we flew to Los Angeles from China and there was a trike shop there, um, bent up cycles. And uh, they're called bent cycles because they're kind of like bent. You're like sitting down in a, okay, like a yeah, bent yeah, yeah. position. And uh, so we went there and they had um, they had an ice truck trike. They had an A-Zub. They had a... Uh, they had a bunch, Those like nice four or five, four or five different brands, and uh, I rode them, and, and I thought they were nice. But uh, Dana, the owner of the shop, said, um, "We have a HP Velotechnic coming because I hadn't tried an HP Velotechnic." And I said, "What's an HP Velotechnic?" It was it's a German it's like brand. The Cadillac of it's tricks. like the ultimate uh, form of comfort and, and quality. And so uh, we left. Uh, me and Ryan left, and we continued our trip to Detroit uh, to visit my family. And it was around that time that Ryan and I had a talk and we decided to part ways because originally we were going to go together. And we decided that instead of um, us doing the tour as a, as a twosome, uh, it was going to be a solo tour. Was that because of like you guys just had different plans and it would have been not feasible to go for, for him maybe for 15 years? Or? You know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I always yeah. kind of overblow things. And I create this. I created I started create. We, we wanted to travel together. But I created this big monstrosity of a tour. And uh, what was that sound? That's some Asian thing. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I created this big monstrosity of a tour that was climbing Everest and accomplishing bucket list items and doing all these different things. And And it didn't hit his bucket list, maybe. It wasn't, wasn't, he didn't care about that stuff. He just wanted to travel and live every day Mm -hmm. on the road. And so we kind of like, I I, kind of looked at Ryan and I'm like, you know what? I'm probably going to, we're probably going to hate each other. You know, we're probably going to hate each other because I'm going to be going this way and I'm going to be pulling at you. You're going to be pulling at me. And we're just never going to agree on anything. And But he gave me the idea. He inspired me to travel. And I always give him utmost credit for that. We're still friends today, you know. So uh, I went back. So I went back by myself on that trip. What uh, city was that in? The, uh, L.A. L.A. That you went and tested the That I tested him. L.A. Okay. And uh, they had an HP Velotechnic fresh out of the box. And I sat down and wrote it. And I was like, whoo, boy. This, is this thing is really nice, and I was sold on it. So I called HP Villatechnic, flew to Germany, met with them. They decided to work together. I flew back to Germany to build it. Uh, after my accident, I flew back to Germany to build my second trike too. So I, I have, I've First been there three times. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. Where's yeah. The, the factory in Germany? Uh, Frankfurt, right by it's the Frankfurt. right by the airport. Uh, a city called Kriftel, but I mean it's like just outside it's of Frankfurt. A suburb of Frankfurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suburb, suburb. Yeah, yeah, awesome. How much did it cost? If uh, like a base version of that, if, people uh, if you want a base strike, it can go anywhere from two thousand to ten thousand. Really, there's a huge range based on what accessories and things you yeah, want. Yeah. I'm on the higher end of that uh, spectrum just because I wanted a trike that would last me a world tour sort of. How tour. much is the HP Velotechnic? Uh, yeah, about three, three to five. Three to you five. know, um, you can add, like I said, accessories and, and yeah. go up as far as you want. Yeah. Amazing. I read some stuff and actually heard some casts where they talked about because recumbents and I guess trikes would just be similar, they sit low to the ground that you don't have that upward drag when you're climbing. So if people say, in theory, it should be easier to climb. Do you find it easier, harder? Um, trikes are actually the fastest, from what I've heard, the fastest mode of human-powered transportation. Mm. You know, like the actual speed record yeah. is a trike because they're so low to the ground. 
And because you have less drag, because when you're riding a bicycle, no matter even you're if you're hunched wind. over, you're in the wind. That all hinges on the fact that you need to be going fast in order for that speed to become an issue, like the yeah. drag to become an issue. My trike is a, is a, is a pig, you know? I'm, I'm heavyweight. The frame is solid. It's strong. It's made for, it's, steel, it's made right? for touring. No, it's aluminum. It's aluminum. It's made, it's aluminum, but it's made for touring, you know? And so, um, when I'm going uphill, it's a slog, man. I'm, I'm going like, uh, depending on the grade, you know, we're talking like five kilometers an hour, six kilometers yeah. an hour. I, I, no, yeah, air resistance doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't even come to play. It doesn't even matter. Um, I, there are times I've gotten that trike up to 70, 75 kilometers an hour on a downhill. And then you can kind of feel the fact that, wow, there's a lot less resistance. There. I went 80 on my folding bike. No way. Yeah, yeah. Coming down from Doethanon to towards no Chiang Mai. No way. Fucking sick. Hey. Scary as shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when flying around a truck, flying corner-ish, not very smart, but I could see kind of Whoa. ahead of the truck that there was nothing coming. Right, right, right. And uh, it was amazing. That's fantastic. But, uh, That's fantastic. Yeah. That's when you ride. If you were to ride the trike at that speed, you'd feel a whole different experience because Yo, you're lower you're really, to the road. You feel the road, and right? it's almost like an automotive feeling. Mm -hmm. But you're, but you're, you're. There's no walls, you know, yeah. so that you're like. I wonder what's with. the tipability of a trike because, like, on a road bike or any kind of bike, when you're cur you cur lean, when you're cornering, yeah. you lean a lot. And I see I videos lean over, where people I lean do over, lean, right? Yeah, yeah. I lean over into the turn, you know, but it can take a pretty good turn. But you, you know that when that one wheel comes off the one side, you've probably got to hit the brakes a little bit and slow you down. Yeah. In your, uh, actually, I was going to throw in earlier, I went, I, in your untold story, I remember like the scene where Ryan arrives in Ningbo to get his trike that you yeah. ordered for him. And he just walks in. It's like kid in a candy shop. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, just, yeah. It was sick. It was amazing. It was amazing. But, yeah. um. You originally had 200 plus kilos, including yourself, mm -hmm, the trike mm -hmm. weight. 250 kilos. Yeah, two, yeah 235. Sorry, I forget what it was. Yeah, yeah I had. Um, that was a lot of weight. With your, your trailer was massive. I mean, heavy duty. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was built for, Yeah. I don't know what you build that for. It was a tank. It was a tank. <laughs> Aluminum casing is a Zagat. Maybe Zagat? it's for, uh, for, for Holland where it's flat and you never yeah. go up hills. I'd like to bring the tra tra trailer back maybe for Australia or something and fill it full of water and... There's a dynamo that's actually on the trike. It's fully suspended mm -hmm. and it's watertight. I mean, that thing is is a beast. It's fantastic. It would be great as a as a motor yeah. motorbike uh, trailer, even I think you know. Yeah, it'd be just suitable. attach some bigger wheels yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. there you go. Uh, my body just couldn't take it on those hills. What do you have now in weights? Your last setup was pretty heavy. Now you're actually I say lighter than a lot of bike tourists, except for your actual bike. Trike is heavier in general. I actually so. need to. Do you have a, a scale, scale in your house, man? Because because I was I have been I've been asked that question quite a bit, and I haven't I haven't weighed my current setup in a, a few years actually. Yeah. So I gotta I gotta believe that I'm I'm doing pretty good. But uh, it'd be interesting because when you weigh yourself, you can kind of like say, okay, maybe I can I should cut here. I should cut here. Yeah, I could definitely trim some more fat for sure. But I'm a lot lighter than when I started. Having, uh, having dealt with some injuries, what kind of advice could you give to, to cyclists when they start to feel the wear and tear happening, like the physical as opposed to the mental? Well, I mean, you, you got to listen to your body. Um, and it was funny when I was, to, when I was riding with my friend Ryan before my meniscus was on its way to tear, it was, it was, it was not feeling good. Uh, my, I, I went to Ryan at one point in time. It's in the video, actually, in one of my vlogs. I was like, Ryan, I, man, it's clicking. It's clicking. Every time I move my feet, it's clicking. He's like, well, maybe you're just a clicker. 
<laughs> I was just, I was like, man, that's not a friend thing to say to somebody. I'm like, I'm trying, I'm that's hurting not, here. And you're like, maybe you're just a clicker. Uh, but yeah, my body knew that there was a problem and I, I, I exacerbated the problem by not uh, taking care of it sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if I would have uh, taken care of it sooner, therapy would have been a little bit more successful than it was. Was it already turned when you went back to Ning- uh, torn when you went back to Ningbo the first time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the first MRI, the guy, the doctor. It's funny. I was in the Chinese hospital. The, the guy was a fairly renowned. He was the leader of uh, orthopedics in the. In the hospital, okay. and uh, he uh, he looked at the <laughs> looked at my MRI, and he's like, "Yeah, you can't cycle anymore." I was like, "What ever?" He's like, "Yeah, no, you're not you're not going to cycle anymore." And, and, you know, I was like, well, "All right, we'll just see about that." You know, yeah. like there's there's a certain amount of uh, my there's a certain amount of like naivete. I think in a lot of like healthcare professionals that mm-hmm. you know they, they they will always play to the very very safe side. But I honestly think that. Uh, the way that your knees are built, you build muscle around the joint, yeah. and then it will support the joint in, in essence. So I find my knees are quite healthy. And right you got now. a pretty sweet little brace now too that just locks oh, I it up love around. that Tulis, the Tulis. Yeah, it's a fantastic brace. It's a fantastic brace, and uh, I use it sparingly. Like if mm-hmm. I feel like my knee's okay, I take it off. Uh, but if I feel a little problem, I put it on. I have not had even close to the amount of pain and problems that I had when I had that meniscus tear. So I've been able to fend off that so far indefinitely. Did you have it reattached or you just did rehab around it? And- no, the orthopedic surgeon said I had it. They're like, the only way you're going to fix this is to open it up. And I said, no way. Yeah. No way. ACL is a little different. Meniscus, they say usually you can rehab around. Well, they would have, they, they said that that would, they would have, that would have taken Everest out. Because right, yeah. if I would have had that problem, Everest would have been, uh, impossible for me to do that after having an open surgery on my knee That's so right. i decided to do uh therapy instead i did like crossfit like a light crossfit yeah, yeah. you know you doing like low impact you know sort of squats Intensity and body weight stuff and uh, it's it worked really well it worked really so if well. you're not a clicker uh and you're on a bike tour and you're hurting a bit would you say just take some rest time or just cut the miles or <clears throat> uh riding a trike uh, is different than riding a bike uh, and uh, you'll notice that on the first five kilometers maybe even the first kilometer a friend of mine rode the trike for the first time uh johan who is uh who's a fairly well-versed cyclist and uh, i met him in uh, ho chi minh and he wanted to try the trike he rode it around the block for uh, just a little while and he came back and said holy moly my legs are burning and uh, it really? yeah it works it, you might it's a different muscle I, you might like trying it yeah. for a little while you know you cuz cuz it's a different muscle it's that like it works this muscle underneath your knee okay you know like like your leg armpit As or whatever the big, you know? the big hamstring yeah and uh, and like different parts of the of of, of your leg are, are working in a different way and uh, you know it can be sore so you just got to take it easy the first first ride might be 50 kilometers instead of 80 you know uh, but then you work yourself up all right. Um, you spent a lot of time in China, so I thought it's a really good opportunity to have somebody that has the experience in China to share with others um, maybe things that they should know about in China when cycle touring, because maybe there's some, some key factors people don't right. really well, think be, about. Beyond actually getting to China, which as yeah. a tourist can be difficult based on your visa uh, desires, because as a cyclist, you're, you know, what hotel are you staying at and what uh, airport are you leaving from are not necessarily questions a cycle tourist can answer, because yeah, yeah. maybe we're crossing the border into Vietnam. Now, or, Americans get a 10-year visa quite easily if you've been on another yeah. visa once, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like 
Adam and Lucia, they could only get it one month. And yeah. And they had to extend in Hong Kong if they were yeah. going to extend. Yeah. I've, when I first moved to China, I did, I did two, uh, visa trips to Hong Kong regularly. Uh, but now I've lived there for so long, things have gotten a lot easier. And I went there for business, which China is more open to helping people going oh, okay. there for business. But uh, cycling, uh, you know, it's a weird thing. Everybody, a lot, of, a lot of my videos show me cycling through heavy traffic and uh, e-bikes and cars and buses and uh, uh, trike people with little stores selling all sorts of different thing on their on their bikes and taxis mm -hmm. and everything. It's all crowded on the road at the same time. And a lot of people are saying, as a cyclist, I, I never, I'd never attempt that. There'd be no way that I would do that. But it really, it's, uh, I feel like it's safer than riding in America. Uh, people have a situational awareness in Asia uh, with regards to where things are. You know, they, yeah. uh, they know that on the road, there are going to be all these factors. They're and always watching for it. They're yeah. always watching. Whereas in America, what is that bike doing on the road? I, this road is for yeah. cars only, you know? Yeah. So they're ill prepared. To take in the extra sensory perception they need to, to uh, defend themselves against a, a bicycle or Imagine something. Imagine here in Cambodia, they just come out of the side streets. They don't look, because if you look, then you might have to give away. They just go yeah, for it. Yeah, we were talking about that, that before. Cool. The, the law is you only watch what's in front of you. The person yeah. behind you is watching what's in front of them and the person behind. You never look backwards. They don't use side view mirrors. They know you side. They don't use mirrors. Whoever has the slight nose ahead, if they're yeah. signaling, yeah. they signal, they If go. somebody is two inches ahead of you, you better not do anything to get in their space because you <laughs> don't exist. You've got to yeah. watch out for them. So, yeah. and it works and it works. And that's the reason why so many Chinese people get in accidents in America yeah. because those rules don't exist. They're like, in, but I was there in first. The States. Yeah, well, yeah, that doesn't matter. I had it happen in Malaysia. A guy started signaling to change lanes, and I was like, I was, I had a company car. Yeah, yeah. So I just kept driving, and he ran right into me. Yeah. And then I had very so little confused. damage, and I just took a picture and stuff, and I called the insurance company. I said, somebody sideswiped me. And he was so mad, and I just laughed. He was swearing fingers, everything. And I was like, no shit. just drove away. He's like, your fault. <laughs> and insurance agreed. It was his yeah, fault. It was his fault. <laughs> What are some of the best things about cycling in China? I mean, I think like food can be a culture shock of its own in yeah, China. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, places to go, places to avoid. Um, I mean, the big cities, uh, it all depends on what you want out of cycling. That, that East Coast has got to be, it's all busy, right? It's all busy. It's all industry. You've got big trucks, big construction, you know, heavy haulers. And those guys don't necessarily really care so much about you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like I said, it's a hierarchy, so you've got to be aware extra. Uh, people are touchy-feely, you know, uh, from a cultural perspective. You're going to get people that are going to be putting their arm around you and trying to take a picture yeah. of you, whether you like it or not, you know. Yeah. Uh, I like that, yeah. but I know a lot of people, especially females, that don't like that, you know. I, that is a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Malaysia, and I sit there with the teacher. He's like, oh, Chris, how are you? Yeah, yeah, hand on. Hand or, does not leave. Or, or, like or five watch, minutes later. Or, or how, how does this one go? Hi, how's it going? And then they just, and then hold, you just hold your hand. hand. How awkward is this yeah, right yeah, yeah. now? It's really <laughs> it's awkward. really awkward. Even yeah. after not like 10 years plus in Asia. Right, it still is. It still, still is awkward, awkward man. Yeah. Holding hands. Boys hold hands. They walk down the street sometimes with arms around each other's yeah. waist. Like yeah. like really close, and they'll hold each other's hands, and they're not homosexual. Well, not like, that I know of. It's like the not. drunk Western guy where you're like, "Hey, buddy, that was yeah. a good night." Over but the shoulders, one thing, but around the waist, yeah. that's a different thing. I remember you know? seeing a construction site at one of my schools in Malaysia, and 
Do Indian guys were walking fingers intertwined. Fingers intertwined. They weren't gay. They no. were just they were yeah, just walking yeah. and having a conversation and it was Or the roll of the shirt where they get the shirt as a crop top and it goes right underneath it's their cooler. nipples. It's really cooler. It is cooler, but <laughs> it ain't cooler. It's cooler yeah, yeah, physically, yeah, yeah, but it ain't cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so beautiful places in China that, like you'd say, must sees, must um, must cycle in. Uh, Huangshan was quite beautiful. Where would it was that be in located? Anhui Province. It's like uh, if you look at uh, Shanghai yep. or Hangzhou, and you go to the to the west, you're, you're going to go into the <laughs> yellow, heading towards the Tibet the yellow plateau, mountains. Okay. Huang is yellow. Okay. Shan is mountains. So Huangshan is the yellow mountains. Uh, Very famous. Oh, I've heard of those. Yeah, uh, Yangshuo. Uh, which is where a lot of people do climbing, like the like rock climbing. Yep, uh, is really popular there. There's there's kind of these spires of rock that just kind of like jet out into the uh, into the surrounding area. That's look like acne, you know, earthly acne, which is quite beautiful. Um, I like culture, you know. So like sometimes I like going to the smaller, off the beat, like no name sort of villages and seeing places like that and. Uh, and tasting the food on a strange, strange, dirty road or whatever. Um, uh, so much, so many places. I, I, whether or not you're mainland China or a, a Thai, team Taiwan, uh, Taiwan is amazing. Yeah, I I've mean, heard cycling Taiwan is. Oh my God. And it's a small, compact landmass that you can like circumvent in a fairly short period of time. And it's got the top, the Taipei is totally different from the bottom, which is Kenting. So, like, yeah, the, the west of China, right? The mountainous regions are uh, something to be seen. I mean, uh, all of this stuff I'm telling you is, is pretty pretty much on the east coast. Oh, is I it? mean, okay. west, we're talking like the Silk Road, Urumuchi, mm-hmm. you know, desolate, sandy regions, which okay. are, you know, uh, like... It, desert-like. Yeah. Desert-like. Desert. Very, very dry. Some of, There's a lot of cyclists that go on the Silk Road route, and I have... A lot of respect for them to go through an area that's so dry and desolate, uh, but I'm sure it's, I've been there. It's beautiful. It's Did beautiful. you put into the stands into your plan through around the world? Um, no, I climbed my when I was training for Everest. I climbed on the border of China and Pakistan, a, a mountain called Mushtaga, and that's so dry. It's so dry it's and hot. Uh, uh, my plan is basically to kind of uh, come from India into Pakistan and Iran. And then enter Turkey, cross Turkey, and then from the tail end of Turkey towards Europe, I'll start going up and do some of those uh, uh, Serbia, Herzegovina area, nice. that, that, all of those places. But, but I don't think I'll be going all the way over to Tajikistan or any. You'll of those come up after areas. if you if you get I'll into Iran, you'll Black come sea. up through Armenia, Georgia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Azerbaijan, those things. Yeah, sweet. Um, the last question about the China stuff. In the unfortunate event of an emergency or something like that, what do you advise foreigners who don't speak Chinese like you do? What's the, what's, what should they do? Most Chinese are very helpful. You know, uh, you're going to find somebody that's going to help you out. If you're going there and you don't speak any Chinese and you don't have any apps on your phone that work or maybe your phone is damaged, which is a very real possibility uh, if you were to get in an accident or something. Um, I think you just have to, you have to rely on the uh, kindness of strangers. Um, I think as travelers in general, we have to rely on the kindness of strangers in so many circumstances. And uh, I think most of the time you're not disappointed. Um, Most Chinese would bend over backwards for you and and help you in any circumstance. So, um, yeah, just just don't be afraid to reach out and ask for some help. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about Jio Nation a bit? 
Sure, sure. Uh, as I described before, Jayo is, uh, is, is basically two characters. Jia, which means to add, and Yo, which means fuel or oil. Uh, people say Jayo if their car is running on empty. Why Jayo means I want to add fuel to my car. Um, in culture in China, Jayo is, is said to uh, cheer on somebody trying to accomplish something great. You know, whether it's go, uh, my son's leaving for a, a job interview. Jayo, you okay. know, uh, I'm running a race. Jayo, you can do it. You can win and that then race. Yansang. It just means add add fuel to whatever you're doing. Add whatever you need to succeed. So when I when I thought of a good mantra for the Jayo world for my tour, my cycle tour, Jayo was 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 fitting. I remember being in China, hearing that for the first time, and being like, "That was that was perfect." Yeah, so that fits. Yeah, it fits. Plus, it's um, I've written it in such a way that I was able to trademark it. So I own J A Y O E. So if you put J A Y O E into Google, uh, everything that pops up is related to me. And, That's very uh, cool. So it's like my own Kleenex, you know. And word. tell us about your vlog because you're you're not really a you don't so much as make one week video, video a week type thing, or it's not a Cambodia video, but you try to, you're an everyday kind of trying to do things, Yep. Right? Uh, I, uh, there was a guy named Christian Anderson who was cycling the globe, and he uh, cycled all around the world, and he was on Facebook, and he would always put a post out every single day. It was very loyal and religious to that, to that, that pacing. And I was like, wow, it was accompanying each post with a picture. But I was always like thinking, if there was a way that I could see him in the act of, instead of reading his story, but see his story, uh, that would be the best way, you know? Mm-hmm. So I thought it might be hard to do it, but I think that the uh, ability to share a journey via video, the personal strife, the, the places that I see, the thoughts yeah. I have on a daily basis would be amazing. So I've been able to do, I do pretty good. I think I do about 90% of my days. I'm able to capture via a video story that's about 10 minutes long. And it's on a daily basis. And, you know, today I have under, you know, just under 50,000 subscribers that are pretty loyal to watching my story. And, uh, um, I mean, a bit of the unique way that I do to tell the story is I don't leave anything out. So if you watch my videos, you learn about my family life. You learn about, you know, you learn about uh, when I'm on the road, when I'm off the road, uh, you see everything, you know. So you see the life of a guy that's trying to travel around the world. You've done a few live podcasts as well, or like live vlogs. Yeah, today's Sunday, right? It is. As we're recording this. So tomorrow I'm doing live. So okay. Monday as is, uh, which would be interesting because that would be the day that I'll be leaving for uh, Siem Reap. So, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, every Monday here in Asia, every Sunday in the USA, I do a live stream. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> all right. So last few questions and then I think we can wrap it up unless yeah. there's something else I'm missing. Okay. But, um, what has been one of the most, if there is a most memorable moment on the trip oh, or, you know, it's a tough question, but it's an impossible question. Um, out. Uh, I would have to say that, uh, gosh, that's an impossible question. Impossible. Impossible. Too many, too many memories. I mean, there was a guy that pulled me off the road, brought me into his house, and we ended up doing kendo in North Japan. I mean, <laughs> just random experience. Did they you were, win? No, I mean, he put the whole uniform on me. He was hitting me with his kendo stick, you know, his Maybe training stick. Maybe he just wanted to video and, and say, look, I beat up a white guy. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> he was such a nice guy, such a nice guy. You know, there's people that stop on the side of the road and give me food and... 
uh, when I need it the most, you know, just like like some sort of serendipitous moment that yeah. provides traveling. Sometimes you'll get these moments that you get exactly what you need, exactly mm-hmm. when you needed it, and and like the world just smiles on you. Uh, there's there's downtimes. When I was laying in the road, I got hit by that truck. That was a you you would think of that as a negative, but in my mind that was a veiled positive because it allowed me to kind of rethink the whole tour, upgrade things, improve. A resolve, yeah. uh, you know, strengthen my resolve and everything. So it's very hard, very hard. I mean, impossible question. Are there any regrets? I mean, everybody has regrets, but like, if, any regrets you want to talk about? No, no. Nothing that, nothing. Nothing that strikes out, huh? No, no. I'd no. say one of the questions was about difficulties, but clearly getting hit by a truck and making it back into the game. And <laughs> that, that's probably <laughs> the biggest there, difficulty. Yeah, yeah, for Meniscus sure, for there. sure. The, the problems with Ryan after that because, you know, he was probably pretty stoked on the trip. And, yeah, uh, we've had some emotional things to deal with, you know. Uh, I, have a, I have a family, I have a daughter and a, and a wife in China, so uh, there's that issue too, having a family that you're trying to balance a life on the road with a life mm-hmm. with, with somebody as well. And so, I'm sure you get flack on that from some random comments and stuff. Uh, YouTube uh, is, is, uh, is a home for the troll. It's home for the person that has an opinion about everything. Um, and I think uh, a lot of that is projection. I think most people that are that give you so much grief, they probably have some issues with themselves. I yeah. kind of feel sorry. Some, but depending on how bad they are, some people just come out and say horrible things about me, and I just block them. But some people, you know, like the guys. Sometimes that, it strikes a nerve. Sometimes it's like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it strikes a nerve. But sometimes it's like, what's wrong with you? Okay, gotcha. You know what I mean? What's going on in your life that, yeah. that you're you're lashing out at some poor guy that's daily putting out videos I work very hard I work harder on my videos than I've ever worked on anything in my entire life you can really say like when you're bike touring and I, and I think Adam Hugo mm-hmm. cycling the world same thing when you're biking 100 kilometer days yeah and then you've got to sit down in the evening whether or not you're tired you've got to take your videos okay. upload it to your computer push them out push it out or get it ready get it set up yeah. that's a lot of work like, that means that can make 12, 15 hour days sometimes. And you're yeah, like, yeah. And you're beat. And you're rather you know, Sometimes mentally, like like a lot of times, I'd like to go out and have a beer or I'd like to go out and go to a bar. I restrict all of those nighttime activities. I really do cut myself out from a large positive part of traveling, which is going out and socializing mm-hmm. because I've, I've compa- compacted and com- com- encapsulated my day into these activities that I've turned into a vlog. And, and it's a commitment. And it's a commitment. And sometimes I'm like, if I have two beers, staring at a computer screen is difficult for me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't edit it's, when I'm tipsy. Yeah, your mind you know? then starts to, like, flutter easy. You yeah, focus, yeah. And yeah. so I've got to keep myself pretty regimented and, uh, you know. And cycling the next day kind of sucks more when you had a couple. Even, like, I, I, I road bike and stuff. And, like, sometimes I want to go road biking the next morning. People are like, let's go for a couple of beers. I'm like, I can't. If yeah. I have two beers, it's not. I'm not gonna be drunk, right? But, but in the morning, affect, it'll I will the ride. feel like shit while I'm riding, yeah. and it, I'm not gonna feel good, and I'm, yeah. I'm gonna hurt. I'm gonna suffer. And That's why when it's nice, you, you're in a place for like four days, and you can go, yeah. you can go one off if you want. No, you know, not go crazy, but just enjoy a night, you know, socially. Yeah. All right. If you were to run into 21 year old Matt, oh, what Jesus. would you tell him? What would advice would you give him? If I ran into 20 year old Matt. It would, no, he, not him. I didn't like him. 21-year-old Matt. He was, uh, he oh, was cooler. Yeah. 21, yeah. <laughs> ah, man. I don't think I could tell him anything. There was, my life has followed such a path 
that it would be impossible for me to pass anything on to that, that kid because he would have no idea what was in front of him, you know? Yeah. Um, and he couldn't and, relate, huh? And if I was to say something to him, it might disrupt the time continuum, you know? Might, <laughs> might, I would just say, do what you're doing, man. And, uh, I mean, when I was younger, my dad told me something, and I've stuck with me forever. It's a very simple phrase, but it's the life is what you make of it, you know? No, yeah. Nobody whatever you become is based on the actions that you've put in, you know, mm -hmm. like, like it's all up to you to do whatever you want. So I had this, I put that on top of my bed when I was 12, you know, I wrote it in marker on that ceiling tile of my bedroom. And so I believe, I believe so like so much that life is, is up, whatever you want to do is like, I, I don't put any restrictions on myself. So, um, you know, I, I, I felt like I needed to move to China, move to China. I felt like I, my life was better on the road. I'm, I'm on the road. I yeah. felt like I, I can make it as a YouTuber. I made it as I'm making it or in the trying, process yeah, of yeah. trying to make it as a YouTuber. So I'm giving it my all and, and life and life is the way that I'm producing it, you know? Yeah. So we are, we are the architects of our own, you know, of our own future. So yeah, I think I had a similar, but my father was like your grandfather. So when I went to Russia for three years, my dad was like, stop wasting time. You're doing a master's for no reason. Yeah just to stay in Russia and party. And then post-Russia, come home, get a job, get a career, you know? And then I went to Korea. And then he was like, you're an idiot. Come home. Came home for a while, went to Malaysia. I was like, I can't do it. It's just, <laughs> now I'm going to Canada in a month and it's kind of scary. The conversation with my with Matt would be weird. It would be like, hey Matt, I'm I'm 40-year-old Matt. Um, uh, just to give you some idea, I'm, I'm, I lived in China for 10 years. Oh, what? Yeah, I've, I, yeah, yeah, but, but that's old, old story, but, uh, like, you know, so, so, so. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be stuttering, you know, I, I'm currently a YouTuber. He wouldn't even know what YouTube 21, but I'm, I'm producing videos for daily lifestyle videos as I ride around the world. That and I put on the internet. Trike. What is that? Yeah. yeah. And, Actually, you know, that. Everest might not work out for you, but you know, you got almost to the top. <gasps> I mean, any, any moment of the fraction of this conversation would come out. It wouldn't even enter into it. Yeah, yeah. None of those things. Language. None of those things were on your radar. Well, I was on my radar when I was twenty-one. So It'd be a foreign if, language completely. If you were to think about, like, I think that you reinvent yourself every five years, right? Mm. You you become a different person. And twenty-one was a lot of five-year increments right. away, you know. So it would have been amazing. I think too. Um, I always say, it, every time you move, it's a new you. You you always subconsciously change aspects of your life that you didn't like before. Not that you didn't like, but you just like self-improvement uh -huh. and you're fresh. It's yeah. like the person who, you know, it's like getting plastic surgery without having to get plastic surgery. Yeah. You're yeah. just doing it. You're just changing things. And so, yeah, you, you can't, it just doesn't project anything. Yeah. 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 But it's always interesting what people hear. All right. Well, Matt, I think this is a good time to sign off. <laughs> Thanks so much for, for being here in Phnom Penh hey, and doing this thank interview. You. Thanks for uh, giving me a place to chill out. Bye. Definitely. Tour Adventures Round 2 <laughs> worked out pretty well. Uh, just to let you know, there are people swimming in the pool yeah, around so us. The noise so that's flashy just... noise as people swimming in the pool. If you guys want to find me online, remember J-A-Y-O-E. You can follow my daily videos, my Instagram, Facebook, and all of that jazz. So thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, good luck with this uh, podcast. I'd like to... 
Subscribe. If, subscribe. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, please subscribe on yep. iTunes or any related podcasting platform. Look at this. He does this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It comes up in my post production. I keep forgetting we're on video now, so okay. I have to do it all now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm used to podcasting, so it's a little different. Oh, but right, yeah. right. You can add the tag at the end. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com. You can check out the website, www.biketouradventures.com. Hit me up on Instagram, Facebook. Same thing, Bike Tour Adventures. And follow the podcast on all the famous podcasting yeah. apps. Peace. Jayo. Jayo. <laughs> Once again, a big thank you to Matthew of Jayo Nation, riding the Jayo World Tour 3.0. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us everything that you're doing. And I think it's really interesting for people to see that, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can ride. And... And there's different time frames. I mean, if you could go on a ultimate bucket list tour of the world, spend 15, 20 years, and if you can find a way to do it and monetize it, make a little bit of money along the way so to minimize your costs, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Next week on Bike Tour Adventures, I'm interviewing Felipe and Mariam. And the amazing part about their story is that they actually met on the Warm Showers website, which is a, a site that's... It's like couch surfing for cyclists. And they were on one of the discussion boards planning to do a trip so that they're not alone and fell in love. So tune in next week. Catch the story of Mariam, Felipe, Iran meets Mexico. And as an added bonus, we're actually also doing the podcast in Farsi with my wife's help, who happens to be Persian, and also in Spanish as Felipe is Mexican. My Spanish sucks, so I apologize for all the poorly worded questions. But... The real thing you want to hear is Felipe. So, enjoy the show. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.